0: Today, the reading is taken from the book of James, first chapter, going from verses 1 to 18. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. You must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away, even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because Of all he created. This is God's word.
1: Let's pray together. Our great God and Father, we're indeed aware that generations rise, generations fall, but you are the living God who knows the end from the beginning, and your word is timeless. And so, Father, please again, would your unchanging words speak to us tonight? So that you strengthen us, give us a fresh desire to battle for godliness, to live wholeheartedly for you. We ask it in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, we started looking at James last week, and we come to the second half or the middle chunk, I guess, of James chapter one, and it's a very practical issue, I guess, arises of how do we receive, how, Excuse me, how do we resist temptation? And don't be deceived, he'll say it matters. How do we resist the temptation to do what is wrong, to sin, to go against what God would desire? Of course, some would easily say, uh, why bother? uh i mean certainly culturally that's what you do you uh, uh a little bit of temptations probably good for you uh you know most things which have calories in it will say go on allow yourself a little temptation and, It's good for us and uh, no harm comes i don't know what i just did i think i ate something um uh you know it's or you know tv programs temptation island ooh shouldn't do but ooh it's quite nice too uh and that's kind of how culture presents it temptation a little bit naughty but really you've got to do it because it's good for you And so even when we encounter the word in the Bible, we might not take it that seriously. But even a cursory moment's thought, we know there are times when you do have to resist temptation. It may be tomorrow or this week uh, at work. Those of you who aren't school teachers and finished. It may be those who are going to work this week. Uh, There may be a moment when your boss is unbelievably irritating. A client is... Just incredulously bizarre, and in your head, this little thought bubbles up: "I'd quite like to hit you." Resist that temptation, and we know at that point: of course you do. Of course you're going to resist it. It's only in a certain circumstance, with a friendship or or a relationship, maybe a spouse, you're tempted to lie, and you think, oh, no, this matters. I need to." We sometimes we know it's obvious to us: it matters. James chapter 1, this little section, verses 13 to 18, are saying it matters. It really matters to hold out against temptation. Now, if you hear last week when we started looking at the book of James, it's a very practical book uh, calling for consistency in the Christian life, not to be double-minded, not to have uh, one, one foot living the Christian life and the other foot uh, following your own instincts, following the ways of the world. It's calling for wholehearted devotion. And it's easy to fool yourself if you're a Christian here tonight that you are wholehearted but the call tonight, and we'll see you next week, is don't be deceived. So, chapter 1 and verse 16. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good gift is from above. Chapter 1, verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Verse 26. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Oh, you see, it matters. It is quite possible to sit in a church and think, I'm going great, I'm fine as a Christian, and actually you're deceiving yourself. So chapter one of James is, is just a little bit of a, you know, come on, we, we are living the Christian life, aren't we? You know, as I said last week, it's a pretty black and white book. Uh, and not, we don't often live in the black and white of this world. We are fully obedient. We are fully disobedient. We don't live like that. So we, we need to work it through. But it is saying, don't be split. Be wholehearted in your pursuit, your following of the Lord. You can't be deceived. You wouldn't call yourself a sportsman if, uh, if your exercise consisted of nothing more than a daily five-minute walk to the tube. Yeah, I'm a sportsman. I walk to the tube each day. You, that's well. You're fooling yourself. You can't call yourself a chef if your repertoire consists of purchase, tear off cardboard, pierce film, put in four minutes, ding. Yes, that causes more than a smile on one people. That is your repertoire. I know, I know. But you can't call you. That's all right. But you can't call yourself a chef if that's your repertoire. You're deceiving yourself. That is not the the threshold level, as it were needs a little bit more than that. Don't be deceived, says James. If your lifestyle is inconsistent with Jesus' teaching, and you're not doing anything about it, you may be deceiving yourself, is what he wants to say. Now again, uh, let's push in. If you were here last time, in this whole section, uh, chapter 1 of uh, verse 2 down to verse 18, the issue is how we respond to trials. So chapter 1, verse 2, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And uh, down in verse 12, blessed is the one who perseveres under Trial. Now, we said it's precisely the same word in Greek, trial, as tempted in verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. Verse 14, each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire. Same word, trial, temptation. So you just have to allow the context to determine how you translate it. But here in James chapter 1, I think it works a bit like this. We have a whizzy, uh, there we go, very complicated. Uh, It works a bit like this in James chapter 1. Trials are external to us. They're outside of us. Stuff goes wrong. And James would say, you have to recognize they're from God. By contrast, temptation is inside of us, from us. But the two of them are very closely connected because whenever we uh, face an external trial upon us, whatever it may be, unemployment or sickness or whatever comes upon us, whenever we face an external trial upon us, there's an internal temptation to reject God and go our own way. Make it uh, a bit more concrete. So Margaret. Margaret experiences unjust treatment at work. And it is deeply unreasonable. Her boss is unkind. uh, And whenever she does anything right, her ideas get stolen from others. She is paid much less than everyone else on her level. There is no doubt about it. She is unfairly treated at work. Now, that is a trial upon her. The temptation that she might feel internally, that's the external trial. The temptation she may feel is to say, well, God's not fair. God's not just to allow such a thing to happen. So you see, there's a very close connection between the trial that comes and the temptation she feels. We might take another one, Ben. Ben is diagnosed with cancer at a young age. Now, that is an external trial upon him. The temptation within him is to say, God doesn't love me. God doesn't care for me. I can't follow him. When he allows this to happen, external trial causes internal questioning, internal temptation. Or it's all the same concept, but uh, another one Mike. Mike is made redundant and is uncertain financially. How can I cope? How can I make ends meet for my family? There's an external trial upon him, but the internal trial is I can't trust God anymore. That's the temptation within. I doubt his sovereignty. I can't follow him. I might have to do things my own way. That might skirt with lying. That might skirt with unscrupulous practices in order to secure more money. Temptation, I'm made redundant. I'm under pressure financially. Excuse me. Trial, external trial, I'm made redundant. Temptation within, I can't trust the Lord. In my life, those do you see always? These things, the external trials, the internal temptation, are often connected. The issue for us is when trials come, and they do come, life is trying at points. When trials come upon us, how do we respond internally? What do we do with the temptations that come? So we really look at this section, verse, uh, verses 13 to 18. It might be better to translate it, verse 13, when being tested, no one should say, God is tempting me. I think that conveys the sense of what's going on here. When when trials come upon me, no one should say, God is tempting me. Okay, look, I've tried to keep it simple. There's a problem and there's a solution. Always good when it works that way. Uh, So I'm going to look at it like this. Temptations come from our desires, And the solution is to know that every good gift comes from God. So just those two. Okay, don't get excited. We're not going to be any shorter. Uh, But temptation comes from our desires, but every good gift comes from God. Let's go at it then. First, verses 13 to 15. Temptation comes from our desire. Verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil. Nor does he tempt anyone, but each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. So verse 13, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. that's very adolescent, isn't it? I mean, it's a sort of timeless thing. A child scribbles on a sofa, and mum comes in and goes, oh, what have you done? You scribbled on the sofa, and child says, Petula made me do it. Petula gave me the pen. Petula said, color in the sofa. And we just blame someone else. That's just very normal. And adults do it too. A man, grows, a man is married and has an affair and says, you drove me to it. Always blaming. It's just instinctive to the human nature. It happens all the way back in Genesis 3. Always blaming. You might get a religious excuse. The devil made me do it. But James says, no, none of those. He concentrates on one excuse people might throw up. When tempted or when being tested, when trials come, no one should say, God is tempting me. You can't say, oh, look, God has put me in a position in this life when I had no choice but to do wrong. I think it was 18 months ago, uh, uh, just before Christmas, 18 months ago, uh, there was one story made the press. There was a vicar in York, Uh, who told the congregation that those who are hard up should go shoplifting. God has put you in a scenario where you are poor and have no choice, so I think God would tell you to go shoplifting. No. 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 No, 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 no. On every level, on every conceivable level, that's nuts. And here it's saying you can't say God has put me in a position where He's tempting me to do wrong. God cannot be tempted. God tempts no one. And so, verse 14, but how does it work? Each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own sinful desire. We need to stop blaming anyone else and say, "I'm responsible." It's a fairly gruesome picture. Verses fourteen and fifteen. Evil gets personified, almost—I don't know—like a wayward woman. I don't know, seeking to lure and entice a husband into a fa- into a fair. Each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. They're sort of pulled into adultery. Then there's this bastard child born, verse 15. Desire has conceived. It gives birth to sin. Sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. So this this adulterous affair, they have a bastard child called sin and this child grows up and they have a grandchild called death. It's a pretty gruesome picture, isn't it? So in contrast to eternal life offered, in verse twelve, here is eternal death offered. Or putting together some of the things we looked at last week and this time, again, James is saying when you have a when a trial comes upon us, here is the choice, here is the crossroads. So, sort of, if we got that one? It looks a bit like this, okay? Trial comes upon you. You have a choice. According to James chapter one, you can exercise faith. And trust the Lord and pray to him, verse 6. That'll lead to maturity as you endure trials. And that'll put you on a pathway. Put you on a pathway that leads you to eternal life. He's talking to Christians. Okay? Alternatively, trial comes upon you. And you can think, oh, I can't trust the Lord. I'm going to follow my own evil desires. That puts you on a path to sin. That puts you on a trajectory that leads to Death. Again, it's just the way James writes. It's very black and white. But when trial comes, which path are you going to walk down? And he is quite strong in his language. See, this language of conception, of giving birth, it suggests a certain implicit inevitability. This is how it goes over time. If you start walking down this path, you'll be fine, the path to life. If you start walking down this path, the path of sin, it's not a great path. And It's quite hard to get off it. So, event, or let's leave that up there. Uh, event comes, stress comes upon us, and the thought enters our head: maybe I should sin. So often it goes. I, I think for, for many a bit like this. I, I am just ground down, and I'm working very hard, uh, and I'm trying to serve God as a Christian, but I'm flat. And what will cheer me up is just a little bit of sin. What will cheer me up is going out and having far too much to drink. What will cheer me up is wasting an evening surfing porn. What will cheer me up is going out to a bar and just flirting. Nothing, not to see anything happen, just so I know I've still got it. And can still catch someone's eye. That'll cheer me up. And James is saying, just don't, don't. Don't start walking down the path. Exercise faith. Resist the temptation. It produces maturity. Now, I have to say, quite often, I end up in conversation with someone, uh, a, a, a young person, who'll say, oh, look, I'm doing this, but it's not a big deal. Look, I know I went out, and I, I shouldn't have gone off with her, but look, I've, I've said so. It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. Yeah, okay. Jesus can forgive you. You can be forgiven for anything you've done wrong. And that is the most wonderful thing. That is the second time you've done that. It just, I'm just observing. It's the second time you've done that in the last few months. And what path are you walking on? Because it seems to me you're not walking on the path of wisdom and faith. You're walking on a path of I'm following my own evil desires and okay, it's not that big a deal at the beginning of the path. But the further you keep going and don't change, and your lifestyle sort of becomes a little bit like that habitually, frequently, it becomes harder to move off that path. Look, you're 24 years old. Just don't walk the path of folly, don't walk the path of evil desires. You might say, I'll jump off it at some point. Do it now. Walk the path of life, is what James is saying. The problem is, of course, when temptation comes, we often think to ourselves, it's just not that bad. And sometimes it's not. But you don't know where it goes. Look, here's a complete blast from the past uh, for you, or not, as the case may be. Uh, 1987. Um, half the room wasn't born, at least. Uh, but uh, quite a notorious film came out. I don't know if we've got a little. There we go. this is an old trailer. Uh, Michael Douglas, Glenn Close, Fatal Attraction. And probably half of you've never seen it, but you've probably heard of it at least and got the gist of it. Fatal Attraction. Uh, the trailer voiceover man uh, introduced it like this: "A look that led to an evening. A mistake he'd read all his life." You know, because voiceover man is always husky. That's how he speaks. Um, Because in one sense, it's it's just trash. It's just a trashy film. But it makes that point. I can't remember their names. But uh, the Michael Douglas character, is married. Lovely wife, lovely daughter. And he just meets Glenn Close at work and thinks, oh, yeah, you're attractive, I'm attractive. We've clicked, haven't we? (laughs) And just observes that. And then his family are away for a couple of nights, visiting in-laws or her, her parents, mum's, uh, the wife's parents. And he sees Glenn Close again, and, should we have dinner? Yeah, let's have dinner. And they go for dinner, and they have a bit too much to drink. And they go back to her flat. Yes, and they have sex, and, and if you know the movie, then she turns out to be a complete nutter. Um, and... You know, won't leave him alone, and goes to the family home and gets the bunny and puts it in the pot and boils the bunny, uh, kidnaps the daughter, uh, and in the end it turns into, a, uh, and everyone sort of, you know, it is, it's, and it's trash. It's a trash film. The striking thing is, I read a, an interview with Glenn Close just a couple of years ago, oh, it's thirty odd years on now, and she's won Oscar galore, etc., etc. Uh, she's asked you that NAF question, what's your favorite role you've ever played? Oh, I don't know. Uh, She said, bizarrely, the one that's had the most impact was Alex, that was her name. Alex in Fatal Attraction. Oh, why so, says the interviewer. Still the case, 30 years on, I'll have men come up to me in the street and say, thank you for making that film. I almost had an affair and then I saw it. (laughs) I almost had an affair, and then I remembered it. And your performance in that film saved my marriage. And she said, that's a bit weird, given it was just a a really trashy thriller. But the point is, it starts off, and it's fine, isn't it? I mean, just a drink and a little bit of flirt. (laughs) And... um, that's apparently how people flirt these days. Um, <laughs> sorry. sorry. Uh, and uh, there's a bit of flirting, and it's just a drink, and, and then it's dinner, and then it's, it's fine. It's fine. And, oh, he shouldn't have the one-night stand, but he says it was just the once, and he doesn't know where it's going to lead, and that's the point. Uh, that's James's point. You don't know where it goes. That's why you resist temptation. You don't flirt with it. You don't play with it. You don't think, oh, it'd be fine, and nothing will ever come of this. You don't know that. You don't know what path it sets you on. So walk the path of faith. When trials come upon you, act maturely. Trust the Lord. Don't walk the path of "I oh, just do whatever I desire." So James would say, "Look, the enemy was in. Don't blame God when you're tempted." Don't blame other people. Don't blame the devil. You can't do that. little tangent. We will get there in chapter 4. Uh, he'll have much more to say, or a little bit more to say about the devil in chapter 4 and how you resist the devil. And that the Bible is content to speak of the devil as a personal, malevolent being, not with red horns. But that, Okay, we'll get there then. But all you need to know here is, it's our own evil desires that get us into trouble. And the devil's a bit like a man wandering into the kitchen and says, What ingredients have I got to cook with? Well, there's nothing here. I can't do anything here. And he leaves. Uh, and if the devil comes to you and there are no evil desires rumbling away, well, what can I, what can I tempt this individual with? Well, there's nothing going on. And he leaves. So the devil comes to Jesus in, in the wilderness and in the garden of Gethsemane and tempts him and tempts him and then goes, well, there's nothing going on here, is there? No evil desires in this man, so for me to pull him astray, so he leaves. But you can't blame, your, you can't blame anyone else. It's always the evil desires within. So look, if we're going to resist temptation, you've just got to be honest. Here's the problem. It's inside of us. Don't blame. Don't say my mother made me do it. My boyfriend made me do it. Don't do that. It's your own evil desires. It's our own evil desires. Okay, temptation comes from within. Here's the solution. Then, uh, second half, uh, verses sixteen to the end. Every good gift comes from God. Let me read it. I, I, at first glance, it took me a while to work out how on earth this answers the dilemma, but I think I've got there. I think it's there. Verse sixteen. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Don't be deceived. It's not hypothetical, for what it's worth, it's a present imperative verb. He's saying it's a real issue right here, right now. Don't be deceived, God only gives good things. Now how does that help? When you're being tempted, how does it help? Well let me suggest three ways from the text. First, trials are good gifts from God. Here's the first way that knowing good gifts come from heaven, uh, God helps. Trials are good gifts from God. So, those people we spoke of earlier, uh, Margaret is treated unjustly uh, at work. Ben is under the trial of um, getting news of cancer. Mike is made redundant. Now, if you know, if you know and can believe and can trust that those circumstances are sent upon you by a God who loves you and who is in control, that helps. When you know, verse 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, even trials. Because he said last time the purpose of trials is to grow maturity. That helps. He's the Father of heavenly lights, he doesn't change. He is in control of creation and our Father. So even the trials of poverty, of sickness, of injustice are trials he sends to grow us, mature us. God doesn't change. We sung it earlier, just from this text. He doesn't change like a shifting shadow. He's constant. It's never that God is too busy to care about what's going on in your life. He's always there, overseeing the circumstances of your life. Trials are good gifts. We looked at that last time. They lead to maturity. It's the first thing that helps, knowing that trials are good gifts. Here's the second. Thankfulness is just a great antidote. It's a great antidote to temptation. So verse 17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. I think, again, often we give in to temptation because we're just fed up. We're fed up and think, we're just full of self-pity. Oh, my life is just boring. Oh, my life is just going wrong. And so we just give in to sin because we just think, ah, nothing's going right, so I just, I'm going to cheat. I know it's wrong, but I just need a little bit of woo in my life. And we think that that sinning will provide it, whatever it may be. All my friends are sexually active. I'm missing out. Poor me. I need to be sexually active. What's wrong with a little flirt, a little dinner, a little one-night stand, whatever the form may be. But here James is saying, don't be deceived. God is not mean. Give thanks for all he's given you. We, uh, I don't know where it's gone now, but we had a book we read with children when they were younger. It was called Count Yourself to Sleep. A friend gave it to us. It's a very sweet book. Um, so a rhyming book, Christian rhyming book. Count Yourself to Sleep. Count Yourself to Sleep before you wink, before you blink and think you're going to nod. Count each good and perfect gift. They all come from God. And then it went on, teddy bears with button eyes, and Um, uh, and on and on it went. And it was a very sweet book. But the principle is a very healthy one, even to drum into a child at a young age. There's a sense in which Thanksgiving is the great antibiotic in the Christian life. It cures so many ills. Give thanks for the good things God has given you. When you pray, when you pray on your own, when you pray with others, it's very striking. Some people naturally give thanks. Some people naturally moan, and you can say, "But there are some good things to give thanks for, aren't they?" Do you remember we prayed about all those things last year, and it's come true. Should we give thanks for them? Oh, I guess. And um, you know, we all have our own temperaments, but thanksgiving is a wonderful antidote to self-pity. Wonderful antidote stops it helps giving into temptation because we think, "Yeah, God is good. He is good." He's given me so many things. So I haven't got that one thing. Well, okay. But he's given me so many. Trials are good gifts from God. Thankfulness is a great antidote. Uh, Last little thing here. The new birth is the greatest gift of all. These are the three which help. Under every good gift comes from God. The new birth is the greatest gift of all. Verse eighteen was at least a slight mystery to me, so verse. Let me read it again from verse sixteen. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. Yes, wonderful. He gives good things. We can trust Him. Uh, and then verse eighteen. He chose to give us birth through the Word of Truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all He created. And you think, where does that fit in? What? And I think he's saying here actually is the key to resisting sin it's to become a Christian more than anything else it's to be born again and when you do that when you become a Christian when you trust that Jesus took your sin and he gave you his perfection, his righteousness then the slate is wiped clean and that's wonderful And every sin is paid for and that is wonderful. But it's not just that. He also comes and dwells in you by his spirit and gives you new power to live differently. You're born again. There is a new effectiveness, a new strength, a new ability, new power to resist temptation which you just didn't have before. It does make a difference. It is a hopeless thing. Uh, A little while ago we got a new telly. and I quite like things like that. That sort of the limit of my DIY, plugging in cables, I can do that, it's like making Lego, I can do that, uh, so new telly, in it comes, and uh, you know, as they do now, I'm connected fine, it says in a sort of faux, cheerful, annoying voice, and on plays, here comes Mr. Television Man to tell me how to, uh, you know, this sort of naff cartoon character, tells me how to do various things, and I'm working fine, and I've got every, go oh, okay, super, super, um, but I couldn't actually get a picture, So all in all, you think, you're not working fine, are you? You tell me you're working fine, and DVDs, they were fine, and and they could play. and um, We'd been given a fire stick with it as well, and that worked, and did all sorts of other, more telly than you could ever watch in a lifetime was available. Uh, But I couldn't just get BBC One, Um, you know, just normal telly. And, you know, that's quite a sort of entertaining problem for me for about... 10 minutes, oh, that's interesting, I'll sort that out and play with wires and, excuse me, play with cables and, well, eventually, you go online, what's gone wrong? No. Then you have to do the really tragic thing of calling someone out. My television doesn't work. Because you think you really ought to be able to sort out a telly. Uh, anyway, it turns out in the end, in all my uh, fixing and fixing, I'd yanked the aerial off the metal thing on the roof. Uh, in my slightly over-enthusiastic, yeah, I'll fix this thing. And uh, so there was a broken connection. Uh, I wasn't connected to the power in the sky, as it were, uh, and therefore had no... <laughs> yeah, uh, no telly. <laughs> James is actually... Verse 18, God has chosen the Christian to give us new birth through his word. Uh, There is a now connection to God's own spirit. He dwells within you to live differently. And you really can live differently. And don't doubt that, says James. You've been designed to be, verse 18, a first fruits of all that he's created what does that mean? Well, I guess we kind of know that. Not many of us are horticulturalists uh, in central London. But in our little uh, yard, we did get her. My uh, parents bought my wife. I don't know why. They've given up on me. But they bought her a blackberry bush. And so we planted this blackberry bush. And everyone told us we'd kill it because that's what we do with everything else. But we went and got proper Soil. Um, you know, pH, I can't even remember now. Acid, is it anyway? Whatever soil was needed, we went and got that and got the right right acidic soil. I don't know what it's, you know, this is why I kill everything. But we did it and it was fine. And um, we got blackberries. You know, and, and the first two, three appear and you think, we're going to have a crop. We're going to have blackberries. We're going to eat blackberries now. Um... It was very exciting. And they were the first fruit. And because the first fruit comes, you know that more is coming. The only problem was that the birds were a bit more attentive than us to these things and managed to eat them all. But ignore that. The first fruit comes, you know that more is coming. And James is saying, Christians are meant to live in such a way that they are a sign of God's kingdom breaking into this world. Showing, modeling, revealing a a different way of living a better way of living, trusting him. That's the Christian is meant to be. And so he says, don't be deceived. If you're a Christian and allow yourself to be dragged into sin, you are, you, are, you are denying the very reason God gave you new birth. He gave you new birth in order to bear fruit for him. So if you call yourself a Christian, but you're denying that constantly, Without repentance, really, have you really been given new birth? Temptation comes from our desires. Every good gift comes from God. What's the problem? The solution is to know that. Trials are good gifts. Thankfulness is a great antidote. The new birth is the greatest gift of all. Two brief comments then I'm done. Here's the first: None of us are perfect. I hope you realize that. And no Christians are perfect. We're in different places. All Christians, if you're, if you're here tonight, and you this, if you are a Christian, you've been given new birth, but we need to grow up. And what you expect of a Christian, who you expect of someone who's been a Christian 10 minutes is different from what you expect of someone who's been a Christian 10 years. There is just a difference. You expect a little bit more of a 10-year-old child than a 10-month-year-old child. You expect the 10-year-old to probably read, to probably be able to write, to probably not miss their mouth with food. You kind of expect those things, but a 10-month-year-old, you cut them some slack. And in the Christian life, young Christians make more mistakes. So let me just encourage you, if, you've been, if you're a bit older in the Christian life, just to be patient. And if you're new to the Christian life, you know, we make more mistakes when we're young. None of us are perfect, but... But the Christian makes progress. Not linear, but sort of bumpy progress, but generally in the right direction. You've got to know that. That's the first. The second thing to know is, look, the problem's within. The solution's to no good goodness. But when we fail, and we will fail, that, of course, is when we need to return to the one we've sung of tonight, the one who never did. So as I said already, Jesus faced trials upon him, extraordinary trials, and yet never gave in to the temptation. In Gethsemane, never doubted his father, said, okay, not my will, but your will be done. And because he never gave in, we can be forgiven when we do. And that is wonderful. We can be forgiven when we do fail. You need to know that. And alongside that, James would say, but be wise, will you? Don't take that for granted. Do try and walk the path of wisdom and not the path of sin and death. Do exercise faith. Know how good God is. Good to even forgive you when you get everything wrong. Know that. So what keeps you walking rightly. Let me lead us in prayer. God and Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you in the trials he faced. He never gave in to temptation, to sin, to doubt you, to turn from you, to allow evil desires to pull him away from his path of obedience. We thank and praise you for him. We would be utterly lost without him. So Father, for those who've never done so, would we perhaps even this evening be those who trust in him? No new life, no new birth, no new capacity and power to live differently. But Father, for many of us here who are Christians and who wrestle, would we take the struggle seriously? Would we not be deceived and think it doesn't matter? Would we fight against temptation by looking at how good you are? Knowing that trials come to grow our faith knowing that you have given us hundreds of good gifts, knowing that you have given us the ability to resist, knowing that we have forgiveness when we get it wrong. Father, knowing how good you are, would we resist in this battle against temptation, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.